Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Thank you for tuning in today. We've had some stuff going on here at the show and we've been doing all kinds of different things. Like we've had some shows where I'm doing a one show every month. Last month, we did a lot more shows than one solo show. Want to thank you guys for the feedback though. That was largely in part to the feedback that we received from our listeners talking about they wanted to hear more from me. And so that's what we wanted to do. We want to make sure that we had some more episodes, but we have some financial advisors out here that we want to get on the show. So what we've been doing here recently is having other advisors on the show to talk a little bit about themselves, talk about their practices, talk about what they're doing, because I think that truly to change the complexion of wealth, it's going to take more than one person and it's going to take more than one advisor. So what we like to do is take some time to celebrate some of the other advisors that we have in the industry. And today I'm joined by my good friend and fellow CrossFitter, fellow fitness enthusiast, Jess Boss. And welcome to the show, Jess. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I have been so thrilled about this. So thank you for the invite. Yes. So tell the people a little bit about you. I absolutely love what you do. So tell them a little bit about you, who you are, what you love to do, and we'll jump right in. My background is fitness. I think most people know that about me by now, but I am, gosh, in my 11th year as a CrossFit coach. That's where I started with my passion for people. That's where I kind of crafted this idea that I like to help people get from where they are and where they want to be. That started as a coach and as a personal trainer. And then when my youngest started kindergarten and I started to kind of take an inventory of the amount of time that I had to spend with my family, I recognized that the only time that I had available to spend with them was times when they were in school. And so that was just the part where I started to look at what are my other options. And I didn't want to go back to school and spend even more time away from them. So I looked at different opportunities that might be available. I had a client actually as a financial advisor and he's the one that told me, you know, you really should think about being a financial advisor. And I'm like, wow, yeah, I'm just no way. This is not for me. <laughs> and he pressed, he pushed a little bit. He said, just come in, let's talk. And actually he was the first person that inspired that idea in me that this might be a good fit. And it's been a wonderful fit. It's been absolutely a perfect fit to transition over to. I get to put my brain to work mm-hmm. as far as developing plans. And I was writing nutrition plans and fitness plans, and now I'm writing financial plans. And there's so many parallels and so many wonderful ways that I can still translate that idea of helping people get from where they are to where they want to be. Like that just fits so perfectly with finance. And so it's taken several years to get my certifications in. I think you have a CFP test coming up soon. Yes. Yes, we do have a test. It's supposed to be next week, but we had to postpone that because yeah. I got scared. But it yeah. no, I feel that. I feel that. So my CFP was supposed to be November and I'm pushing it to the spring, kind of for the same reasons. It's a lot to build a business and all that and finish all that. But I've pretty much gone through a lot of other certifications, all the ones that have been really instrumental to being able to build out a financial plan. I've done all of that except for a few CFP courses and taking that test. And so I've been able to do that while building my career. And that's been really special. And I've been able to do that while continuing to have time with my family. So all those things have been real special. And I still coach. I love it. I'll never stop coaching if I can help it. 
But being able to do that on my time and not having to give my entire before and after school schedule to that has been really great. Now I can get back to just loving it and just doing that. So yeah, that's how I got to here. And those are the clients that I typically work with are the ones who have that similar passion for fitness or at least understand it and understand what it takes to do hard work. And those are the people who come in wanting to do the hard work on their finances and it's been a great fit. I love it. This is so awesome because I like the marriage between the fitness and finance, right? You got to do what you love and then added something to it. It's almost like, it's all like habit stacking. That's what I call it when it's a habit. But I think this is almost career stacking, if you will. You took one part of your career that you liked and added another part to it and you can stack those two together. And it looks like a lot of the disciplines translate. Can you talk a little bit about that? How does the fitness translate into the finance? First, like the word you said, the word discipline. When they walk into the gym, a lot of times they feel like these things that they see when they come in, they look around the gym, they watch people in the middle of the class and they go, oh, I can't never do that. There's one girl, I'll never do Olympic lifts. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's fine. You know, a few weeks later, she's taking a medicine ball and snatching it overhead. And it's like, okay, girl, you're doing an Olympic lift, maybe Mm -hmm. not with a barbell, but the components are the same. And so it's just helping people understand that process is broken apart into many different steps. And really the thing that you need to bring is your effort and your discipline your consistency in coming in and training and just trusting the coach to have that bird's eye view, that understanding of the process well enough to know where you are on it and to take you safely to the next step. And so really just building that relationship with clients and finance is instrumental, just helping them understand. I know where we need to go. I can show you the big picture. And then I also see where you are in the big picture and I can help you get to that next step. You just got to trust me and just got to show up and be willing to work because a lot of people, again, that I'm working with aren't starting off with a tremendous amount of wealth. And so the key to them building that wealth and getting where they want to be is that consistent willingness to save and to be disciplined in their money spending habits so that they can save that money. So that money that we're talking about saving can be applied toward the things that they want to be able to do in the future. But there's just so many parallels along that journey. And really the parallels that I use are the ones that help build the trust between me and the client because they don't understand money, but most people have a concept of fitness. They may not believe that they can do a pull-up, but conceptually they know what a pull-up looks like and they know that people do pull-ups. And so it's just helping them along that journey of their finances is much like saying, hey, here's what a pull-up looks like and here's how someone might do a pull-up. Here are the steps to getting to that pull-up. Well, you're doing the same thing when you translate over to finance. It's just that they're a little foggier about the details. They don't really understand what an equity is. They don't really understand SPACs and Bitcoin, all these things that are being thrown out there in the world. It's a lot of noise for them. So bringing them back down to the things that are important to their financial situation and being able to break that down for them and being able to relate that over to something that feels a little more familiar Mm -hmm. builds a lot of trust pretty quickly. And so that's been fun to be able to do. The way you explained it, I want to back up a little bit just because you were talking about Olympic lifts and women. You mentioned that. I think about my wife when we used to work out and she getting her and do deadlifts and getting her to do squats and I hang cleans. And I don't know if I ever got her to do an overhead barbell snatch, but I did get her to do like some dumbbell snatches and stuff like that. When you're taking someone through that and we'll just use, use powerlifting as an example, like how do you like work? Because women are listening right now. So like a woman that says, that's something that I wanted to do, or how do you get them from being scared of it? Cause that's what it usually is, is most people are scared. It's a lot of weight you're going to be moving. So it's kind of intimidating. How do you take them from that place 
to a place where they're comfortable with lifting. You break it down. I mean, you tell them where to put their feet, where to put their hands and how they need to set up. You talk about pulling their shoulders back and you build their confidence and their ability to set up structurally Mm -hmm. and you give them a weight that they can manage. And then all of a sudden they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And the whole time the, they are drawing their confidence off of me. Mm-hmm. I were to be timid about the way that I'm setting them up or the things that I'm asking them to do, that would create a lot of anxiety in them. And I've seen that in my coaching as it's progressed over the years. It's one of the fun things about coming into financial services and knowing in the beginning that I didn't have that confidence to be able to deliver a plan to a client or to you say, this is what we need to do next. This is how it's going to work. These are the steps. I can almost pull myself. It's almost an out-of-body experience because I knew looking back as a coach that I had those moments where I don't trust myself. I don't trust my ability to coach this. I'm not quite there yet, but I know this is the process. And so it's kind of out-of-body experience in that financial setting going, I know this is the process. I know I've seen other people do it. It doesn't really feel comfortable to me yet but I'm still going to walk myself through it. And eventually I know I'm going to be confident with it and just being able to trust that in myself. So it's really just leading with confidence through that process and then breaking it down into the small steps so that feels manageable and doable for people. I think one of the things that caused me to shy away from saving so much in the beginning of my career and my own personal journey was just feeling like I can't save to the extent that they're telling me I need to save in order to make it magnitude of difference in my future. And so if I can't do that, then why would I even save $5? Why would I even save $10? And so just helping people break it down into small steps and something that they feel is manageable and they can get some success with is a big part of both of building that fitness journey up and getting women, especially to handle a barbell. If they don't want to touch a barbell for a year, we don't want to touch a barbell for a year. We're still going to move. We're going to move well and we're build what we're moving with. So that over time, when you are willing to take that step, you can do it with confidence. Then you've been doing it all along with just a different object and a similar journey in finance to your people. I love that because it's basically the fundamental, right? The approach. How do you set up to the bar? How do you pull your shoulders back? You know what I mean? Make sure you're just little different tips that you can give people. It makes such a big impact. Like I remember even doing deadlift. Deadlift is something that's hard was always a problem for me. And the problem with deadlift started before I even grabbed the bar is the way I set up to the bar, right? And so then the way I set up makes it, I have to use my back more than I should use my back. And now that's why my back's always sore when I do deadlift, because I didn't do it right. But that time, step by step, right? Almost like the financial planning process, right? First, we got to gather the information, right? <laughs> so we got to gather all the information. I got to look at how you step up to that barbell. <laughs> right? Get it all locked in, right? Get everything set up and then walk up to the bar. And then once you get there, then it's the movements, the small movements, making sure that your core is tight, making sure that there's just little things that you got to do. And now I can deadlift more than I've ever deadlift because we fixed the form. And it's so crazy because I think that what you're doing for people is fixing their form and their finances so that they can take on more than what they had, right? More than what they can lift, more than what they did before, financially speaking, whether you've put that in their savings or you put that in their investment account or wherever you may advise them to put the money. But it's awesome just to see the parallel between that. I think the things that 
One of the common assumptions in CrossFit as a coach is not that they can't do it. It's that you haven't taught it in a way that they can understand it yet. Mm. And so we talk about different types of cues, like a visual cue where you're showing them how it should be done or a tactile cue where you're touching something where you might touch between their shoulder blades to tell, mm. you know, show them where to straighten their back or even a verbal cue where you might tell them. Mm. And it's this, constant coming back to what type of cue is going to help that person move correctly. And you, as a coach, the responsibility is on you to come back to them with as many cues and as many times as you need to, to help them get into that place where they can do it correctly. And I coach kids a couple of times a week too. And you see it a lot more with kids because they're so new to their lifting and so new to their body awareness. But again, that assumption that if they don't understand it, it's not because there's a problem with them. It's because there's a problem with the way that it's being coached or described or laid out for them. And how do I continue to innovate to come back to them with something mm-hmm. and get them in the right place is a really, really important part of just my philosophy and practice across the board too. It seems like people would connect with you, right? That you just seems like you probably have great relationships with your clients just because you talked about this a little bit and then you felt like you didn't have, I didn't know if I could say this or I didn't know how to do this. Imposter syndrome, if you will. Sound like a little bit of imposter syndrome. How did you gain that professional confidence in both arenas, right? You had to gain, I mean, you've been doing the CrossFit thing for 11 years, so you didn't have the confidence that you have now. And how is that confidence? I guess the question is, how is the confidence from CrossFit after being in 11 years and going through the imposter syndrome translated into coming into being an advisor and dealing with the imposter syndrome again, mm-hmm. right? And I have to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you're right. And it's real. And it was real all over again <laughs> in financial services. But I had an epiphany one day and I remember the moment that I was standing in and CrossFit. Well, it was when we still wrote the workout on the literal whiteboard behind us. People would come into the room, we'd write their names down on the board and we'd write, you know, the workout be written on a separate board. And at the end, you come up, write your time. I mean, like it was just, very, very old school mm-hmm. CrossFit, how it started and had the 5 a.m. class and I got thrown into this. Now I was doing CrossFit for two and a half months before they asked me if I wanted to go coach. They didn't have any female coaches and they wanted one. And the guy who asked me if I would go get my level one, as soon as I got it, he left. So there was only one other guy there that was legitimately trained as a CrossFit coach. So I just got thrown in. and. There was a class, 5 a.m. class full of guys. I mean, starting probably 30-year-olds all the way up to 60-year-olds. And here I am, like 28, girl, barely knows CrossFit, can't do anything. I don't even think I could do a pull-up then. And I'm having to coach all these different things. Like we talked about earlier today, muscle-ups. When they would come up, I mean, I would just want to cry. I want to crawl under a rock. Somebody else can coach this muscle-up. I don't know how. I can't do it. No, eventually, it took me a four years, but I figured out how to do a muscle up out of sheer determination. But so I was, I remember the moment I was standing in front of the class one day and I had to coach muscle ups that day. And they were all looking at me like 22 guys or 11 guys, 22 white guy eyes looking at me. And I'm like, Oh my God, what am I going to do with these muscle ups? Like I can't even do a pull up. And it occurred to me, they don't care if I can't do a pull up. All they care about is their ability to do a muscle up better. Did we start the class? knowing this much about a muscle up, do we finish the class knowing more about a muscle up? So like, again, this epiphany of 
it really had nothing to do with me. And the more that I stood there in front of the class and thought about me and thought about my insecurities and thought about my inability to do a muscle up and how that might affect whether or not I can coach a muscle up, the more it held me back from being able to get past that and into the moment with them and just teach them one thing. And it could be something that I learned on YouTube last night, but if it's that one thing that helps them progress even that much further with their muscle up helps one person get their muscle up today because I coached them on something that somebody else on YouTube taught me last night. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if I can do a muscle up. It doesn't matter my skill level and my personal proficiency here. It's all about what can I get past that so that I can get to the point where I can focus on teaching them. Can I focus on them? Can I get past myself so that I can focus on them? And imposter syndrome is real all over again in financial services, but I carried that with me. I carried that with me too. When I got in the room with somebody, for the most part, they weren't thinking about me. They were thinking about them. And if they were thinking about my inability, it was only to the effect, to the degree that it might affect their ability to be financially successful. So the longer that I focused on myself, the less time I had to focus on them and their needs. And if I could just show myself as willing to listen and hear the issues that they have, and help solve those, then we could get, we could get past all that a lot. Faster. I'm listening to you say that. And we talked about me having a nutritionist and trainer or whatnot before we got on. And you're talking about not, I couldn't do a pull-up then. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking like, I don't even know if what my trainer, I don't know how much he lifts. I don't know if he's stronger than me. Never even crossed my mind until you said that right now. What does he do when he works? I don't know what he does. I don't even know if he knows how to do it. I mean, I don't even know if he does pull up. And I think that's just another thing of us getting in our own head, right? I always say this, there's two things that you can do. It's either talk to yourself or listen to yourself. And if it's imposter syndrome, then you're listening to yourself, right? Because you're listening to all the things that you can't do. I can't do this. I can't do that. But when you walk up to that bar and you're getting ready to lift more than you ever lifted, the only thing you're saying to yourself is I can do this. I can lift more than this. I can do this. So talking to yourself and listening to yourself are definitely in play with what you're saying. And I think that's huge in overcoming the imposter syndrome, which you have managed to do. Yeah, this is great. So when it comes to financial fitness, describe financial fitness according to Jess. My process always starts with taking a look at the balance sheet. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, when I ask them what a balance sheet is, they don't know. They can't tell me. And so if I have an ego about anything, it's the fact that I don't care what you know. I will start there. And I am overly sensitive to making sure that people don't ever feel like they don't know enough about money to be able to come to me. And so I'm really prideful about the fact that I start at ground zero with people. And so I start that first conversation. Once we get past the whole, am I a good fit for you? Good fit for me. This is what I do kind of thing. We start talking about their balance sheet. And I explain what it is and I give them a picture of their balance sheet and I show them, you know, like, here's everything that you own. Here's everything that you owe. Here's your income and how that pays up toward what you own that builds up what you own and the also pays down what you owe. And eventually at the end of the day, what you own minus what you owe, that gets you your net worth. Mm-hmm. And you've heard the term net worth. So this net worth number, after we subtract out everything that you own or owe, and that, you know, we get this number. Well, I relate that back to what if you were to go step on a scale today? Because everybody just says net worth is king. And it's not that it isn't. It's just people don't understand what that means at all. And they think to themselves, well, I don't own very much. So I just 
must not have any chance in the world of building wealth. And I showed them that picture of net worth. And then I said, you know, if you were to go step on a scale today, like a body fat percentage BMI mm-hmm. scale, where it gives you a whole bunch of different variables, your total body water and your BMI and your percent body fat and how many calories you burn, how useful would that information be for you a year from now? The information that you got today. Yeah, that'd be incredibly useful. I mean, it would be, but what you are today, is it going to be the same a year from now? No. No. Is it going to be the same from last year at the same time? It's only a picture of today. So your net worth and your balance sheet, it's only a picture of today. And you talked about this before we got on, I think your journey over the past year, because you've been on a health journey and picked up your strength and worked on your nutrition. And I mean, we were to compare your body percentages, your body calculations from a year ago to today. You couldn't have predicted. There wasn't anything about that number a year ago that predicted where you are today. It was all the work you did in between that got you there, right? So it's important to understand where you are. But really, it's just a snapshot. It's just a picture of today. Let's just take it for what it is and let's understand the numbers for what they are. But then the work that we need to do is how are we going to get from here to where we want to be? Like what's going to happen all in the middle portion? And if you don't understand how to get there, that's what I'm here for. I'm the one that helps you design that. And then we take this snapshot a year from now. Are we closer to where we want to be? A snapshot two years from now. Are we closer to where we want to be? It's these constant moments where we're coming back and taking a look at our financial picture. Is it a picture of health? Is it on track to where we want to be? And that whole philosophy of the little things mm-hmm. that make up the big picture, able to really focus down on those little things. So taking that balance sheet pulling out what the little things are, like you were to take your body fat percentage and your weight and all that and pull out, you know, how do I dial in on these things? What things do I want to change? First Mm -hmm. of all, you may not want to change your body fat percentage, but you may want to change your muscle mass. So it's really identifying exactly what it is on that sheet that you want to change and how it's going to get you where you want to be. Because if your goal is to run a marathon, you're going to want to do something different with your body measurements than Mm -hmm. if your goal is to be able to deadlift 500 pounds. So let's line it up with where we want to go as well. And so just kind of taking the pressure off of where we are is where we are, but we just got to know where we are. And we have some idea of where we want to go so we can map out the path in between. And that's your journey. That's nobody else's journey. Nobody else showed up today with these numbers. Nobody else is going where you want to go in a year from now. So stop comparing yourself to where everybody says you should be or where everybody else is. Let's focus on your journey and your path and what it's going to take to get there. Those are the conversations that we have. And that really just sets the tone for what the work that needs to be done and whether or not they stay engaged and want to stay engaged with the process because we're tying it all to the things that matter to them. It's just fun. And I can't talk about it enough because it's just fun. And I think the way that you're explaining it makes it even when you get the numbers, right, you get the numbers and it's just a snapshot. And I think that's so huge when you say that, right, because people come into us and whether it's fitness or whether it's finance, they've come in and they beat themselves up. Right. Oh, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this. I could have saved more. And I'm like, well, that's why you're here. Give yourself a pat on the back for first making the appointment and coming in and seeing us. And now <laughs> let's work. Let's do the work. Right. Because it's tough. And I think about those numbers as you're talking about. Them. I get uh, calibered every time I go in. To see my nutritionist. And 
the crazy thing about this, so I'd never had a nutritionist before. I've been an athlete, played football, played basketball, ran track. That was my thing. Football, basketball, track, football, basketball, track. But I played baseball. I played every sport. I wrestled. I've done almost everything. But I remember when I was doing this workout and this is so crazy, right? So I've been doing all this stuff, working out, blah, 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 whatever. So I get him. He starts putting together the stuff. And so we do the first month and I'm like, eh, okay. I'm doing the same thing, <laughs> the same thing. I was like, bro, this is the same thing all the time. And it's like, you got me eating, you know, pretty much. I was like, what are we doing? And he was like, Emily, you just got to trust me, right? This is what you said. You got to trust me. I, I said, all right, man, we're about a month in, two months in. And I was like, okay, but he's been calibrating me every time I come. Okay. So every time I come in, he's doing my numbers that we're talking about, right? That, that shot in time, that snapshot in time. And every time I go see him, the numbers I want to go lower are going lower. So I was like, okay, something's going on. He knows yeah. what he's doing. I understand that I challenged him and I think challenging him was the great thing. But what it did was it made me trust him. It made me go back to the numbers because the numbers were important because saying men lie, women lie, numbers don't, right? And my numbers were saying, whatever he's telling me to do is boring as I think it is, or the same repetitious as what I think it is. I'm getting all the results that I want. And I think it's back to those little tiny habits, right? Because we talk about the tiny habits or the tiny things are going to make the huge results. And I think that that's so true in finance and fitness. And so talk to us a little bit about financial literacy. I know that's one of your passions. So we'll talk about financial literacy a little bit. Yes, it is. And Part of it is that I came from a place of just feeling like I knew very little opportunity to learn about it. And I don't even really know why. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't look back on my life and say I missed out on big opportunities that someone else near me had. It's just, we use it as a way to reward, mm-hmm. right? And so building wealth is kind of seen as a stacking of rewards, if you want to look at it that way. and. Right, wrong, or indifferent, I learned from a young age that reward for me was less tied to my ability to make a handshake agreement for a financial reward and more tied to my ability to perform in some way or to look a certain way. And I think there's a lot of women who are carved into that path that the way to find that financial reward is through getting some other person to notice you or some other person to reward you. It wasn't direct access mm-hmm. to money itself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because gaining that direct access to money itself was more of a man's thing mm-hmm. in my world mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. And so if I attached myself to a man who was doing a good job getting that reward, then that might be one way for me to access that, but it wasn't that direct access. And so it was, well into adulthood when I finally was like, I just don't believe that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just didn't match my belief systems (laughs) at all. Why am I still living in that lane? And so I took my car off that track. And since then, I've been really plotting this course and on this journey of I have direct access earning money. I have direct access to wealth. I have direct access to building a legacy. I, not my husband, not my dad, not this other man that's paying me to work this job. It's me. I have this direct access to it. So owning that, believing that was the first step toward financial literacy. And I think one of the things that maybe I would love to see us go back to, and I think we're doing it to some degree, and you're definitely 
a part of disintegrating that foundation of this is how you access that reward. These people have direct access to it. You have direct access to these people mm-hmm. and that person has direct access to you. And it just doesn't never work. It just doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. It doesn't work that way with fitness. My husband can go to the gym and therefore I'm a fit person. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> so opening up that direct access to it, stepping into it kind of like I did with fitness at one point, I stepped into the gym, I started lifting the weights, I started figuring it out. I think that's really the only way that you can build up financial literacy. And so creating those access points for people and really just disintegrating that belief system that only certain people have access to the understanding of these things. So when I meet with clients, I'll teach you anything you want to learn about money. We're going to start with some basic concepts to make sure you understand those because it's really important to know what to save and how to save and how much to save and where that savings needs to go and how you need to build your buckets of wealth. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, you want to understand asset allocation. We can go as deep as you want to go. Mm We're a financial advisor. And when we meet, we're meeting on the things that are important to you. So we're going to review your plan. We're going to make sure you're on track, the things you need to be doing. And then you bring your questions and we'll get them answered. And so there's this journey of really just opening people up and giving them access and teaching them what it means to build wealth and build a financial legacy that we'll always do. And I hope we can continue to do as a culture and as a society together because it is a big passion of mine. Again, a lot of times I'll post something on Twitter, Lyft or whatever, and somebody be like, you know, don't hurt your back or make sure you don't get hurt. And it's like, would you say that to a guy? Mm-hmm. Like if he were to, you know, like, would you, mm-hmm. would you, or just because I'm a girl and you're afraid I'm going to hurt myself because I'm deadlifting 300 pounds or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like, no. I have just as much access to this as anyone else. And it's okay if it makes you uncomfortable, but it's my journey. It's my thing. So just being able to continue to blow that wide open and give more access to more people is really important to me. I love what you're saying. I never heard it explained like that. Access through someone, like how you're talking about, I can have access through a man or I can have access through this in particular man or these group of people that can give me where I want to be, but the access doesn't come directly to me. And that was a part of your financial literacy journey. That's so powerful because I never really looked at it that way being a man. So I don't, didn't look at it from that standpoint, but when I hear you say it, it makes all the sense in the world. That's how some people would look at this before they have their awakening, if you will, or just the change of their views or getting out of that lane, right? Like you said, I got to get in this other lane. And I think that for anyone that's listening to that, I think that's so powerful that you were able to share that. And then I know there's other people that are going through that same thing and that are going to try, that are going to make these changes that they need to make to have their aha moment and where they can help someone else. And I think that's just so impactful to be able to have that as a part of your practice. So talk to me about this a little bit about financial planning for people in recovery. It's a new journey for me. So I started off this year with three goals. One was I don't have to solicit another client ever again by the end of this year. I mean, I just hate that. I just talked about it before. I don't like to sell. I just don't. I will help you solve a problem. I will help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Along the way, you may have to buy something in order to do that. But I don't want you to feel like the genesis of our relationship is me trying to sell you something or that that needs to be a stoppage point in our relationship. It's just never. So reaching out to people and asking them to hire me has always been uncomfortable for that reason. And then this is a learning process. I'm better at it, but it's still, it's just not something I love. So that was one of my goals by the end of this year. I want to be done with that. I just want people to find me <laughs> because they, 
know that I can help them. And then the second piece of that was that I wanted to get involved in some sort of giving back where it's, whether it's charitable or I want to develop my business to a point where I have a mission and not just a goal to build. And so out of that was really just a prayer. Like I just kind of put it out there. Like this is something that I'm just going to have my eyes looking for and sift the opportunities that come my way. And so there's a guy in our gym who found me one day and he actually started a recovery program here in Augusta. And he asked if I would be interested in coming out and talking to people in recovery about finances. Mm -hmm. We've met a couple of times and went out to train their team. And so it's happening. Mm -hmm. And he's done a lot of work specifically in recovery. And so I'm learning about people in recovery as part of this journey. But what I bring to the table, what I know without having to know people in recovery is just knowing people. So my background, my bachelor's degree is in psychology. And so I've been just hugely interested in the behavior aspect of finances and why people make the financial decisions that they do and why people do what they do and what makes them tick and what's important to them, why it's important to them. So with people in recovery, one of the things that we talked about was there is a financial piece to the recovery process where it's actually harder to become financially salient and even take ownership of their life than it is to just offend again and get put back in jail. Like the actual recovery process after they leave whatever sentencing that they had is the financial cards are really stacked against them. It's like $200 a week for rent. It's $80 a week for their parole officer. Plus they have food and laundry. I mean, all the other responsibilities of just being a human. I mean, it's over $1,000 a month for them to just live. And they come out of being incarcerated looking for jobs that are not going to pay more than $12, $13 an hour if they're working at McDonald's because they're limited to who's going to hire them. And so you've got all these limitations placed on them, all these responsibilities they have to immediately take care of. If they don't pay their parole officer, they get put back in jail for, I think, a period of like 21 days. Well, what he was saying was after they go through that cycle a couple of times, what they do is they step up their offense so they can get put back in jail longer so that they're not continuously going through this cycle of being incarcerated for 21 days and then getting out and then spending a month, two weeks out, not being able to pay their parole officer getting thrown back in. It's just that cycle is just almost impossible to get out of. And so that's why you have these repeat offenders. And there's just so many pieces to it that I'm not sure how to solve yet, but I'm all in on helping being part of the solution because it just makes no sense that we want to help these people rehabilitate their lives. But financially, we're not giving them any options to do so. So that's part of what his center does. You know, they provide some financial relief for that, but they also they're working with the local government here to be able to offer either a a remediation program instead of being incarcerated. So the judge can instead send them through this 12 week program where they will learn more about financial literacy and their relationship with money and why they even felt they needed to sell drugs or whatever it is that they did in the first place in order to financially provide 
because again, it goes back to that reward system. I mean, which reward is stronger Mm -hmm. for them, right? And so how are they going to stack that wealth? How are they going to build the wealth that they need in order to be able to live their life? And just helping them solve that in other ways, but also just getting them out of that addiction cycle of those triggers that cause them to make either bad spending decisions or whatever it is else is they're doing that can be part of that cyclical process that sticks them back into addiction. So I don't know, I'm still all in on helping to find a solution to it, but it's a huge problem that really nobody's addressing, especially not from a financial standpoint. And so we're building out some curriculum for folks either pre or post incarceration. And I'll let you know how it goes from there, but I'm excited about it. It sounds like an incredible project to be working on. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. Not surprised at all that you're doing that type of work. I mean, the list of stuff that you're doing is just so incredible. So, man, it's crazy. I want to say this. First of all, thank you for coming on. And as you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast. And I have these questions that I always ask about every show. And so I wanted to ask you. And the first one is, what motivates and inspires you to continue to grow and learn and lead? The most salient thing is really just to see people succeed at whatever it is that they're wanting to do. I love that moment, whether it's in the gym or in the room, they're almost surprised by the results, whether it's jumping on a box or doing a pull up for the first time or whatever it is that they're in the middle of it. They recognize, wow, I did this. And those moments, they happen in finance as well, whether it's realizing that they have the ability to retire or being able to show them that annual report of here's what we did. I had a girl that I've been working with on you know debt consolidation. And in one month, she was able to reduce her debt by $2,000 just through changing out some of the ways that she thought she was managing money and substituting in some things that were a lot more progressive for her. And so that helped. That was that boost of confidence that she needed to keep working on the process because it's going to be a long process for her. So being able to tackle that and just show that moment is really the moment for me. If I chase anything, it's that. I really like to chase that moment for people and to experience that with people when they accomplish something that's really important to them. Your coach. Yeah. (laughs) That's, That's what a coach does. Because you get your players to that point and the players get to do stuff that they didn't think they were able to do because the coaches coached them up to that level. So maybe we should just start calling you coach, Jess. (laughs) (laughs) So if you could offer a piece of advice to our listeners, what would that advice be? Head down. I mean, be relentless in what you are wanting and put the reps in. I mean, we say it all the time in the gym your back squat only gets stronger if you back squat. (laughs) (laughs) You just got to do it. And so I think a lot of people are overwhelmed by the concept of building their wealth, especially when they're starting from nothing or from very little. And the more that they can just dial that down to what they need to do today to get them to where they want to be tomorrow, to get them where they want to be a month from now, and just staying focused on putting the reps in, and like I mentioned before, just putting the work in that is meaningful for them. Mm-hmm. Don't look up, look around and compare yourself to where anybody else is because you're not on their journey and they're not on yours. And where you are, where you want to be and the path in between is the only thing that needs to matter to you. And being consistent, showing up, doing the discipline, putting the reps in for that 
journey is the only thing you got to do. And we don't have to complicate it more than that when it comes to building wealth, when it comes to doing what you need to do to be where you want to be. You don't have to be more complicated than that. Love it. This is directly from Coach Jess. Listen to what Coach Jess has to say because she's <laughs> dropping fire gems right here. If people want to get more of Jess, where can they find you? What social medias are you active on? Where can they find you? Well, I am approved by my broker dealers <laughs> Facebook and LinkedIn. So I put a lot of content out there for people to learn how to build wealth. And then personally, I have my own social media pages where I feel like everybody knows and can find me. And that's where I kind of kick back and I'm myself and I don't offer financial advice. I just bring a lot of fitness advice because mm-hmm. I'm able to do that there. And so I get to enjoy and build relationships with people, colleagues like yourself. That's where I found you. And that's where you'll get to know the person behind the financial face on all those other ones. I take my real self into anywhere that I go. But yeah, I do have those professional pages out for blogs and to be able to share relevant, important financial information. And we'll put a link to all of that in the show notes for you. Jess, this has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing, for being my friend and for coming and joining us today and talking for a little while. I loved it. So I can't wait to hear it myself. But as everybody knows, this is the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA Or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here. And until next time.